Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Florence Caslow is a psychologist in Palm Beach County, and she has recently written a book entitled Divorced Fathers and Their Families. Dr. Caslow, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. This is a huge topic. It's full of a lot of emotions, and it needs to be addressed much more objectively, and I think you started to do that very nicely. Is there a difference for a single father after a divorce as opposed to a single mother? What's the difference between a father and a mother if there are differences? I think in the past there were more differences if we have the old-fashioned, more traditional family of a father working out of the home and the mother being home doing the child rearing. But with the advent of women's liberation and more and more women in the workplace, that difference has changed a great deal. Also, the women's movement was followed by the men's movement, and more and more fathers are working less hours and spending much more time with the children. There are a certain number of men who work from home and really share in the child rearing. So where you have a situation where both parents have been actively involved in child rearing or neither of them has been that involved and it's been turned over primarily to nannies and babysitters, you have very different situations. So if both have been involved, then when they split, they're both used to the roles and responsibilities of chauffeuring, of helping with homework, of dealing with the children and their friends with sleepovers. If neither has been very involved, then the children have another great loss of whichever parent moves out. And the parent who moves out then has to arrange for sufficient coverage of the children so they don't become latchkey kids. You make a very interesting point when you talked about how the women's movement has been followed by a men's movement. I don't think a lot of people have really given much thought to this, and I was struck by a comment in your book in which you talked about how men basically have been misdescribed. Correct, and part of that has happened with men being extruded or excluded. Very frequently what we've seen is that although it may be the woman who asks for the divorce and wants the divorce, somehow she expects that the father will do the moving out. And to the children, it's the parent who moves out that really is the one they perceive as having left and abandoned them, and they resent it. If he explains that I did this because your mother, in effect, told me to, locked me out, had my clothes outside when I came home from work, then he's denigrating the mother, which we always tell divorced parents not to do. He's often described, and the words used are, well, he doesn't care, he's a deadbeat, he doesn't pay, he's been abusive, he's addicted, he's cheated. When in truth, the majority of men that I've had contact with in my research, in my practice, care very deeply about their children and want to be much more involved than they're often allowed to be. There has been the term parental alienation syndrome, where the parent who has primary custody or has in the past really downgrades the other parent and makes it difficult. So I'll often find, I did in my therapy practice, that come Friday afternoon, she'll say, well, the children are too sick to come visit you. 
or he'll go to pick the children up and find that somehow there's been arrangements made for them to go visit the maternal grandparent for the weekend, or she's made other plans for something they really want to do. When he goes to pick up the children and they're not there, he has no recourse except to go back to court. After two or three attempts to go back to court to enforce the rights that were granted in the agreement, most dads end up giving up because they lose. Is there still a disparity in favoring how the courts treat mothers? In many jurisdictions, but not all, much depends on how the law is interpreted in that jurisdiction, the predilection of the judge, whether he or she is divorced themselves and has carried their memories of what that was like, what their own biases and prejudices are, and what they know about child development and the fact that providing neither parent is abusive or negligent, they really need to have both parents in their lives. But often, obviously, that's not what happens. That's not the case. Now, one of the interesting changes recently is that now the National Organization for Women that had totally disagreed with the concept of parental alienation, saying that it was a trumped-up concept by those who want to accuse mothers of everything that was wrong with divorce. But now that there is are more awards of either primary custody or joint custody to fathers, now has come out with saying that this does exist because they see fathers alienating children from their mothers using their greater financial assets to endear the children, to take them on better vacations. And also, if we denigrate any member of the woman's family, we're denigrating all women. If the mother talks badly about the paternal grandmother, She's putting down women so that the parental alienation go in either direction and is harmful no matter who's doing it and against which gender. So how can we make the divorce process more father-friendly and, and as a spinoff of this, obviously, more kid-friendly and just less abrasive and abusive? What do we do to help the fathers as they go through this? Could we reframe that? We the did, divorce. Yes process really needs to be what's in the best interest of the children and then to define who determines the best interest. It is not synonymous with what either the mother or father say is the best interest and often it's not the best interest is determined by a child advocate who's often a guardian ad litem appointed by the court who has a legal background. It's somebody that is skilled in evaluating and who truly knows child development needs. And then if we come from the point of view of what do these children need, what does each parent offer, who has taken them to dancing school and to soccer practice and football practice and whatever else they're involved in. Can they continue to do that? What time should they be spending with each parent in order to benefit? Is it better for both parents to participate in all decision-making, or is it better, okay, mom's a teacher, so maybe she ought to be handling the educational decision. Dad's a physician, so maybe the health care 
should be in his so that they don't have to talk to each other about everything. I think the most important thing is that rather than having a standard agreement, that the court needs to look at what's the usual and customary What do we know today about divorced families that work best after divorce? And what's the best plan for this particular family rather than handing down agreements that all look alike? And the courts are not doing that. Is it they're overwhelmed or they just really don't know how to do this? Partly they're overwhelmed and partly they don't know how. In a good mediated agreement, that's exactly what's done. They accept that the parents decided to have these children. They're the ones who have to raise them and that they have to make an agreement that's going to work for them and their children. And nobody knows their children better than the parents. Now, an attorney that's never seen these children doesn't really know what's best for them. They take their client's word for them because that's who's paying them. It's a system that doesn't make sense psychologically. You mentioned the concept in the book of a different lawyer, a different result. It captures it. (laughs) Well, because if the lawyer tries to get a picture of the child or asks to meet the child and sees them, I just want to give you one quick example of a couple that I once had. And she was typically the mom that liked the natural foods, the organic foods. And the father was into feeding her hamburgers and french fries and stuff. So I had her come, the little girl who was three years old, at the judge's request. And I saw them each with the child for a lunchtime session. And they each brought different food. And at the end of each session with each parent, This beguiling, beautiful child said to mother, Mommy, do I have to go to Daddy's house? I only want to be with you. Now, Mommy's telling this to her attorney. But next week, lo and behold, she said almost the identical thing to Daddy. Daddy, why can't I stay with you? I love you more. And Mommy doesn't let me eat any good things or play outside as much because she's afraid I'll get dirty. At three years old, she knew how to manipulate. She was running the show, and neither lawyer saw this. They heard what their client told them. Both were telling their attorneys the right thing. She said she only wanted to be with them. It's so scary to hear stories like this, though they are extremely common. It shows how skewed things can be and how the final results of a divorce really do not match the reality because the people don't have a large enough database. That's right. Unless we have people that can do See, in the non-contentious divorces, we don't have to evaluate. But in a contentious divorce, we need to see each child alone with each parent in their own setting because they act differently in our offices than they do in their homes. A true good custody evaluation is an expensive proposition. Now, the other thing that you'll see in the book is I've gone beyond recommending custody evaluations of the children and using the concept of the family evaluation because the parents need to be evaluated in a contentious divorce. And you asked, are all divorces ugly? Do they have to be? No, they do not. And what I have found in my research is unfortunately, the ones that are ugly tend to be because one or the other, and sometimes both, adults are what we would call 
borderline personalities, have personality disorders, they're very selfish, they are explosive, whereas those who manage well, who have peaceful, amicable divorces, can share the children, can both go to their hockey games and say, hello, how are you, can be at a child's birthday party together. They are people that are free of those kinds of personalities that want to retaliate, that want to hurt, that want to undermine. And they really say to the children, your mother or father is a good person. We couldn't make it in the marriage together, but you were born at a time when we both wanted you. We both love you. We will both continue to love you. It's really a redefinition of a family. It's not mommy and daddy at the same house, but it's an extended sort of connection to the parents. But it redefines the family, and you need both parents to show the children that the redefinition doesn't mean that they're being abandoned. That's right. It's the post-divorce family. They're still connected through the children. They always will be, and they need to give the children full permission to love the other parent. Do you think that divorces would be less we'll use the word ugly or nasty or troublesome if it was a non-courtroom-based divorce as opposed to going to court and testifying and witnesses coming in and all that sort of thing? I think that divorce mediation, where they can reach a good agreement and that's turned in and the judge is willing to go with it, to look at it, make sure it makes sense. I think collaborative divorce, where they work with a team made up usually psychologists or psychiatrists and attorneys, and they agree to abide by whatever agreement they reach. And then that's what's filed in court. And they truly understand the importance of coming to agreements that make sense for them and the children. Those kinds of processes have proven to be far superior Collaborative divorce is much more popular on the West Coast of the U.S. than it is here. Interesting. Any idea why? Well, I think more progressive movements have tended to start on the West Coast okay. rather than the East Coast. The progenitors of it have been psychologists out on the West Coast. There has often been the term bantered about that there is a divorce industry, and that's when ugliness comes up and the opposing counsel. Yes, and it just becomes ugly, and then it becomes an issue of trying to hurt each other or outdo each other, and it just goes downhill. And well, it goes downhill in terms of quality and uphill in terms of cost. Nothing gets done, but the kids see a mess, and the kids get sucked into the middle of this too often. It's, it's not pleasant at all. I hear what you're saying here, that it doesn't have to be that way. In this county, and in many wealthy counties, some of the divorce attorneys have been charging $450 an hour, which means filing motions and continuing these kinds of cases are very lucrative. So you decided one day that this needs to come together in a book, Divorced Fathers and Their Families, with a focus on the issues for the father. Do you think there will be a book called Divorce Mothers and Their Families? There has been so much written over the years that this is not against the mothers. Being a mother and a grandmother, I certainly would not take that stance. And I think, as I said, many couples handle this well. The high-profile divorces, the argumentative ones, are the ones that don't get handled well. 
there's been much more written about the needs and rights of mothers than about the fathers. And I wrote this because I heard so many men, both in my office and when I go to their offices as doctors and other professionals who I knew were not abusive or addictive or deserting, telling me their story. And I thought, I need to write about this. Somebody's got to take this other side and bring it to public attention. When I read the book, it occurred to me, this is a family event. We have to protect the kids. You have to also protect the emotions of the father. You've hit a good point here. Florence Caslow is a psychologist in Palm Beach County. She's written a book called Divorce Fathers and Their Families, trying to take a look at the particular dilemmas that a father has as he goes through the divorce process and trying to make things easier, just not for himself, but for his kids as well. Thank you so much for being with us. You're quite welcome.